ever get the uneasy feeling that you've been fed a lie? Not just any lie, but one that you have believed your entire life and which has guided many of your decisions. Most of the time, we shake off this feeling and go about our lives. But what if that feeling was the key to unlocking everything? I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and on each episode of The Big Lie, we'll reveal a new lie that once uncovered has the power to transform your relationships, career, and life. Let's do this. Do you enjoy having great ideas, but not being heard? Or worse, having someone repeat them and get all the credit? Are you happy to continue delivering great work only to be passed over and watch as others from outside the company or your peers get the job? Would you benefit from being part of a community whose focus is on developing the interpersonal skills needed to elevate your career? Hi, I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and I just launched such a community on Slack called Unlock You. If you believe unlocking interpersonal skills is a crucial part of elevating your career, I would love for you to join us. Enrollment is currently open and free. You can go to www.connectioncounselor.com and click on the link to join us. See you soon. Welcome to The Big Lie, the show that changes everything. Each episode, we have a different guest share the big lie that once you realize it is a lie, it changes everything. Today, we have a special guest, Zoe Routh. Zoe is a leadership expert who shows leaders and teams struggling with office politics and silos how to work better together. She has worked with individuals and teams internationally and in Australia since 1987. Zoe is the author of four books. Her fourth book, People Stuff, Beyond Personality Problems, an advanced handbook for leadership, won Book of the Year at the Australian Business Book Awards 2020. Zoe enjoys telemark skiing, has run six marathons, is a one-time belly dancer, has survived cancer, and loves hiking in the high country. She is married to a gorgeous Aussie and is a self-confessed dark chocolate addict. Zoe, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Oh, thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. How am I feeling? I'm cold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were mentioning it's uh, winter where where you are in Australia, and it's quite cold. (laughs) I know. People say, but you're Canadian. You're supposed to be able to handle the cold. I'm like, ah, the only reason, the only way that Canadians handle the cold is because they have excellent, excellent heating and insulated houses. Not so down here. It's like people built houses and forgot there was a winter. And so it's built for summer. It's freezing. Oh my gosh, hilarious, (laughs) hilarious. Well, super excited to have this conversation with you and get to know you a little bit better. Um, Tell us one guilty pleasure you have that you can share on the podcast. All right, one guilty pleasure. It's kind of in my bio. It's dark chocolate. And, And this is what you probably don't know. It's hummus. Hummus? Hummus is, yeah, I just have zero self-restraint when it comes to hummus. <laughs> and I love it so much. My husband said, like, well, let's get the value pack. Let's get the, like, the one kilogram size 
hummus because you love it so much. I'm like, no, 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 no. Do not get that thing because it will not last. It will not last like any contained appropriate portion size. I will just eat a lot of it. So um, hummus is my guilty pleasure. And this is the extra special secret guilty pleasure. You can actually make chocolate chunk hummus. What? Sounds, Come on. Yeah, Chocolate I know it sounds chocolate? disgusting because hummus is savory, right? But you can uh-huh. actually take take the chickpeas. Don't put in the tahini or the salt or anything. Take the mm-hmm. chickpeas, blend it up so it's smooth. Uh, add a little bit of sweetener of, of your choice and mm-hmm. break up chunks of your favorite chocolate. Mix it all in and... Uh, there you have it. It's like chocolate chip cookie dough. It's so wow. good. It doesn't taste like chickpeas. <laughs> so it's two of your favorite things perfectly blended together, right? What's not to oh like? Oh my God. It's so delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely very guilty pleasure. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're, we're big hummus fans in, uh, in our household too. So definitely can get on board that. Um, so uh, today uh, we're going to go to the launching point and talk about the big lie. It's a quote that you shared with me uh, from Marcus Aurelius. Uh, Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is perspective, not the truth. So Zoe, what does this quote mean to you and, and how does this feed into your big lie? It's quite a revolutionary point of view, isn't it? It's like there is no truth, there is only perspective. And that each of us, wherever we stand, have filters through which we see the world and we translate things and experience things differently by the stories we tell. And when I worked that out, I was like, oh, oh, you mean the way that I see the world is not the way that everybody else should see the world (laughs) and does not see the world? That really was, um, yeah, that knocked me on my butt a little bit to think about. I was like, oh, that explains so much, so much of why I have conflict with people, why I think people are um, not not doing the right things. All this judgment that comes from this idea that there is one perspective and that people aren't living up to it. And that's, that's a lie. But the big lie, which is related to this, is that when I, you have conflict with someone, they say, oh, it's just they're difficult. It's a personality clash, a personality clash. That's all it is, all these troubles you're having with such and such. And that's so not true. People are are not just a personality. There is so much more going on to them. And when you start to unpick uh, what's below the surface, you work out that it's not personality that's driving difficult behavior sometimes. There's a whole bunch of other factors at play. It could be a different context. It could be the stuff that's going on at home. It could be um, it could be the stuff that's going on at work that's pushing all their buttons. It could be the systems in which they find themselves at work, which create these difficult behaviors. Like there's, it's so much more complex than just saying they're just a difficult person to be around. Yeah, I, I get the sense from um, the books you write and the work you do that just saying it's a personality clash is almost like a defeatist or like a cop-out attitude, right? It it gets you off the hook to explore any further and maybe have some difficult conversations, which gets you to the root of the matter. Oh, you nailed it. That's exactly right. It is defeatist. It's kind of like, oh, well, that's just the way they are. That's just, just the way it is because they're difficult. And so you just have to either put up or shut up or leave. And, uh, oh, what a waste. What a waste of what a wasted opportunity to figure out what is it about this person we find in in quotes difficult. 
Uh, is it their opinions that we find difficult? Is it their value system? Why is it that uh, who they are and how they are pushes our button? So there's such a huge opportunity to figure out about uh, what's going on inside of us that is like having a reaction to this person. And then secondly, to be curious about what is it about their world that creates their point of view, their their value system and their behavior? Like, how do they get to be who they are and how they are? And as soon as you ask those kind of questions, it's like, oh, that's really interesting, actually. <laughs> and they've had a totally different world experience than I have. And wow, isn't isn't that fascinating. And it opens up uh, possibilities for resolution, possibilities for collaboration, possibilities for actually learning and growing a little bit. So yeah, I love that you picked up on that, that, you know, just dismissing it as a personality clash is um, so limiting and so damning. And it's kind of like, you just kind of you have your balloon popped with that one. So I'm, I'm curious, um, when did this kind of realization happened for you and curious how it started to make its way into the way you conducted yourself and then also the the work that you're doing today. It was in a personal relationship many moons ago where uh, my boyfriend at the time was driving me absolutely bonkers. And <laughs> ah, yeah, he was known as a difficult person to be around. And I kind of just pushed that to the side, wanting to be in the relationship and have fun with him. Sure. And then it, and then it kind of, he lived into his reputation in my mind. I'm like, he is difficult. And I started putting all these judgments around. I'm like, yeah, he's really obstinate. He's really stubborn. He won't listen. And it's like, hmm, it's, you know, that's the way he's hardwired. That's his personality. And that wasn't getting me anywhere because then I'd be arguing with him, trying to convince him that my point of view was the way forward. And I'm like, ah, this is going nowhere. And it was through the work of uh, working with an executive coach. So my very, very first executive coach from 20 odd years ago, I'd sit and like lambaste my poor boyfriend <laughs> to, with my coach. <laughs> and he was gently, gently guiding me to ask different questions. Uh -huh. I was like, hmm, what do you think might be behind his point of view? And I, I didn't want to go there. I was so right. like, it felt so better to be righteous and judgmental, be like, I'm right, he's wrong. That, that feels more comfortable than I have to consider his opinion. <laughs> so I, I think I got dragged reluctantly into this idea of challenging that, that notion, because if you judge someone for being wrong, it makes you right and it kicks you off the hook. And if you then start to lean into that a little bit, it's like, uh -huh. oh, I have to take some responsibility back in this relationship. I have to take some responsibility back into this conflict. And it's like, ew, that's yucky. <laughs> it's, it's harder work than saying they're the problem. So I think gently, gently, my coach helped me sort of back down from my high horse and from my moral high ground and to really stand a little bit in try to step into his shoes. And that was really hard because if you're pissed off at someone or you're upset about something, it's really hard to find a place of empathy. So that, that was my early personal work about, okay, this is another human being. They have a right to their point of view. How do they get to that? And sort of sit with that and work with that. And it doesn't mean I have to like his style. I don't have right. to like the way that he presents his arguments or the way that he interacts with me. I don't even have to like actually the way that I do it. Um, but really, 
you don't have to like all any of that in order to develop compa compassion and empathy and start to unwind some of the animosity that sits there in the conversation when you're judging person and get more curious about it. So that was sort of a, a, a slow process to get to the point where I could be more, what's the word, centered in myself uh -huh. uh, to be able to consider somebody else's point of view. So that, yeah, it took a little bit of time and it was just, um, it was quite powerful when you get there. You, you get less defensive when you get to that point. Yeah, what's what's interesting, you know, when you said, um, what really resonated with me was when you said centered in yourself, because there's this sense that when you have a good sense of yourself, you're not threatened by the fact that others may reflect reality differently. It doesn't jeopardize your value or the right to your opinion. It's just they have their way of reacting that way and looking at it. I have my way. They can they can coexist. They can. There's some dualism there that's possible. It doesn't have to be my way or the highway. You know, zero sum game. That's right. And um, I've just recently read the book "Why Are We Yelling" by Buster Benson, and I've ordered it for my amplifiers group as a way of exploring this. Mm -hmm. And he talks explicitly about people who have really in, intractable, polarized viewpoints. And mm -hmm. so how do you actually find the common ground? How do you lean into that? And one of the first things he talks about is like, is, is getting centered and which means bringing your awareness to the, to the parts where you like, oh, I'm having a reaction. <laughs> and uh, sitting with that and exploring that and knowing that when people have different opinions, it will sort of kind of push back on us. And the work is to, as, is to come back to center and just to, to sit in the messiness of that emotion so that it doesn't drive any of your next choices, any of your next conversation points, and that you can actually stay curious while having all these internal like hoopla <laughs> happening around somebody else's point of view. And uh, that, takes a, that, takes some, that takes some practice to do that, like that whole like self-reflection piece and self-awareness piece. And noticing when you get triggered is all the work, it's all emotional intelligence work. And uh, not, not everybody does that work. And not everybody's actually attuned to the fact that that's the kind of work that you, you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, um, that's a really useful thing to keep in mind. It's like, this, this, is, this is work. It's a practice. It's not something you just go, okay, I'm going to do that now. Yeah. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting to me about this topic is I feel like all of us know uh, a friend or a coworker or a family member that wherever they go, there's problems. Right. And then after a while, you know, you listen to their stories, you, you lend that sympathetic ear, that shoulder for them to complain on. And after a while, you're like, hmm, they've been at five different companies. They've dated five different people. It's always the same problem. What's the only thing that's consistent in this <laughs> dynamic? It's them. It's not everyone else is the problem. Maybe part of the problem is coming from them holding a certain way of doing things and not being able to to blend with other people, if that makes sense. I know, and I feel sorry for that individual. Oh, that's not a great, I do feel sorry for them. Um, I feel compassion for them too, because once you actually get aware of the fact that you're the consistent factor in in your troubles, it's it's really painful. It Because you're like, oh, oh my God, I have responsibility in this. And that that is quite confronting and it can be really hard. It challenges our sense of self, it challenges, our ego, it, it, uh, we, have to, we have to lean in and look at our shadow 
when we do that. And that's, that's really hard work. So I feel for those people who are in denial in some ways that, that don't see the patterns and are still blaming others and other situations for what's going on around them. Yeah, you know that maybe, maybe they'll get to the point where they become aware of it and that, that's going to be a rough ride. Well, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is a lot of times no one will really tell you, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have someone in your life who will actually tell it to you straight, right? Whether it's your partner, your spouse, a parent, but most people, they're not going to, they're not going to jump on that grenade. You know what I mean? It's like, they're just going to, cause they know you're just going to chop their head off or you're going to argue with them. And you're like, you know what? My life is too short. I'm not going to argue with this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to be mindful of where they're sitting. And it reminds me of um, Cartman's drama triangle. And so the person you're describing of blaming everybody, that's the victim. Mm -hmm. And there's always, they're always looking for a rescuer, somebody to pull them out of the weeds. And, and it's a weird dynamic. You need someone to blame. You need someone to rescue and to be that sympathetic ear and so on. And we can get really accustomed to playing that victim because of that, oh, it's not my fault, I'm lacking responsibility. I, you know, it's not my problem, it's everybody else doing it to me. It's sort of like washing your hands clean of the situation. And if you have someone in your life who doesn't want to play that rescuer role anymore, and by coaching them, by asking them questions about, well, you know, what else could you do about this? And how could you help yourself through this? Some people don't want to leave. They don't want to leave the drama triangle. They want to stay right in it. Uh, because it's com comfortable, familiar, and so on. It's a place of powerlessness, and that's mm -hmm. what they give up to stay in it. They, they lose their sense of agency, and they're stuck, and so on. And yet some people get really, they, they just, um, they like to mire in it, muck around in it. And that's, that's hard work. That's when you need to go, yep, hands off, I'm walking away, and not playing these games with you. Yeah. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole sometimes, it feels like. Yeah, it almost becomes part of their um, identity in, in a weird sort of way. Like they wouldn't know what to do without that dynamic or that, that feeling or that re emotional reaction to what's going on around them. Absolutely. Because you know what is terrifying to take responsibility for yourself? When the first time that you really step into that, it's terrifying and exciting. So the, the move from victim to learner, as Cartman says in his model, is a massive step and it's a huge personal growth step. And unless you have support around you, it can be, it can be overwhelming. And um, yeah, if we're on the sidelines cheering somebody on for that, they need that support. But they don't want people to come in, rescue and do it for them. Like, yeah, that's it's sort of like, how much do you help and how much do you let them do it on their own? It's, it's really hard. There's so many contexts in which we have to have to let people go and let them have their own lessons in life. And that's heart-wrenching, especially if it's someone you, you care deeply about. Um, yeah, it can be really, really hard work just to stay on the sidelines and let them learn on their own. So I'm really curious, Zoe, are there things that you've discovered that really help people see things from a wider perspective, whether it's an activity or an exercise? Because I feel like all of us have a, it's like a thermostat, right? Like, like we have that default point that, that we always go back to, but it can move. It can move up and down, right? We can get broader or we can even get narrower, unfortunately, at times. Have you found or, or you know, experienced things that generally help people broaden their perspective or, or their opinions of, of the world? Oh yeah, there's there's a whole range of processes and and structures and and frameworks that you can use to help. 
see and figure out what's going on, whether you're looking, you want to look deep below the surface. So I believe that perspective has got three aspects to it, looking far, deep, and wide. Um, so looking far is about, a timeline, is about a timeline horizon, like how far can you look into the future and into the past, and how, how much do you do that? And it can be a simple thing, like when you're setting your goals, what's your usual time frame? Is it three months? Is it daily? Is it 12 months? Well, what about setting 25-year goals? What about thinking about goals that go beyond your lifetime and thinking about your legacy and the kind of impact you're going to have seven generations down the line? As the Iroquois said, uh, I think it's oh, now, I'm not sure. I'm going to get the wrong First Nations people of North America. Um, it might be the Iroquois. I could be completely wrong about that. So um, there is a First Nations group in North America that talks about having stewardship for seven generations in the future and every decision you make wow. you need to consider that wow. and so that's um that's quite a long time and they consider a generation a hundred year time frame so 700 years into the future wow. are you taking decisions with that kind of longevity in mind and it's like mm, no not today when i decided what i was having for lunch <laughs> 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 but it, the idea is to think more mindfully about the choices that you're making are you looking after yourself? If you have a 25-year plan, do you, are you making choices today that are going to sustain you from a financial, yeah. social, emotional point of view? So that's, that's one example of how you can extend perspective is thinking far into the future and far into the past. When you're thinking about how did we get to where we are, how many forces and trends came backwards into the history to see how we've ended up here. And this, this is a mental stretching exercise that can be challenging for people, especially if they're under time pressure or dealing with crisis right now. So that's one example. Do you want examples for uh, deep and wide as well? Yeah, I would love to hear them. This is fascinating. Okay. So if you are going to think about expanding your perspective to go deeper below the surface, you want to think like an x-ray, see like an x-ray. And there's a couple of different tools you can use to do that. One of the ones that I mentioned in my latest book, People Stuff, is the problem tree. And you can just Google problem tree and you'll get a whole bunch of different diagrams so explain it really, really well. So the idea there is that the visible part of the problem is the trunk of the tree. Okay. The consequences of that problem are the branches and the leaves. So you kind of just map out, right, here's the problem. This is what can happen into the future and the effect that it's causing. And then when you look at the roots, you go deep below the surface. You're like, okay, what is what are the factors that are actually causing this problem in the first place and you go layer by layer down under the surface you know what are some two factors what are the factors causing those factors and that third layer down what are the factors causing those factors that are causing those factors and all of a sudden you get ooh, this is actually more complex than this visible personality problem say for example mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of things that are contributing to this person behaving in a way that I find personally difficult. And in your tree, you might have, well, I perceive it this way and they perceive it that way. So that's, that's one tool that you can go deep below the surface. Uh, far, deep, and wide. Wide is the, is the third aspect of perspective. And wide is thinking about your circle of concern and circle of impact. And when we think about it, when you think about the work that you're doing or the, your relationships that you're having, how far is your circle? You know, is it you, your family, your friends? Is it your community? What does that look like? Is it your different social activity communities? Is it your country? Is it your hemisphere? Is it your planet? Is it the cosmos? Is it the universe? Is it all sentient beings or just some of them? Like, so the challenge I put forth in, in people stuff is like, let's push that out a little bit. So if you're used to just thinking about you, your family and your business, 
What about if you expand your circle of concern a little bit wider? What have you thought about your ripple effect to a little bit further into your community or a little bit further into how you are showing up and affecting your country, your circle of concern and mm-hmm. awareness that way? It sort of makes you think about your existence and your choices in a completely different manner. And if you keep extending out, extending out into being, you know, care for the universe, mm-hmm. um, that you show up completely differently. Uh, yeah. You have a different way of being in the world uh, when you're you're sitting in that point of view. That's for sure. Excuse me. I love that far, deep, and wide. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to use that. I love that, Zoe. <laughs> and you know, with with respect to um, that last part, the the wide, you know, I love how it gives you that perspective. Um, there's a couple areas in the last few years where perspective has played such a powerful impact. You know, one is in the area of anger, right? When you're really angry, if you're, you're usually seized on that moment, like someone cut you off in traffic or someone said something that, you know, you really didn't like. And when you focus on that and you don't see the greater perspective, right, of who is this person really? right? Who are there like a family member, someone who's always been there for me, or what is really going on? I'm driving on the road with a whole bunch of strangers. I want to get home safely. What's the big deal? And then also like, um, I'm a big fan of Michael Singer and, and, and some of um, his work. And he often talks about we're sitting on a planet, spinning around in the middle of a universe you know, like that is the greater perspective. But often for us, our universe is like right in front of our nose and, and, and that's it, right? Like our whole universe is what's happening like right in front of us. And yeah. we don't take into account like everything else. It really changes your ability to to react and perceive things in a different way. So, so I love that you brought that part in as well. There's a, a really great uh, YouTube clip and I don't remember the comedian. And it's a, it's a little skit that says, that talks about, you know, they're on a plane and somebody's like, oh, I don't have mobile reception. Ugh. And they're frustrated. And the guy goes, are you kidding me? We are sitting in an aluminum of the sky. This is a miracle. And you can send a message and talk to someone on the other side of the planet by pinging something up into the sky. It bounces across somewhere across the planet. And you could talk to them. That's a miracle. That's amazing. And he goes on and on about how amazing all this daily miracles are around us. And you're getting peeved because you, you don't have like two minutes of signal. And it's another uh, reality check perspective taking exercise. And I think that's amazing. Like the more we can step into like, oh my goodness, this is a miracle. It keeps <laughs> us open to possibilities. It's absolutely uh, another technique to, to expand into that. Um, the one, one thing I want to add to also your, your, your example of... Um, riding in traffic and someone cuts you off. Yeah. This is, um, Cindy Wigglesworth talks about this example also as an opportunity for spiritual weightlifting. Now, okay. Cindy is um, the author of a fabulous book called SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence, which is advanced emotional intelligence, essentially. And she says, we've always got to practice these, this spiritual weightlifting. So when someone cuts you off in traffic, the, the weightlifting process is breathe, because... <laughs> Breathing is a circuit breaker, so it stops us from getting carried away in the conversation in our head, which gets us all jeezed up about something. Breathe, and then you can ask questions like, hmm, what might be going on for that person that would cause them to behave in that way? Like, 
they're rushing because their child is sick in the hospital. I don't know. You don't know. And then you ask yourself, have I ever behaved in a way that was erratic and not best version of myself? And what was happening for me when that was going on? And when we ask these questions, it allows us to slow, at, slow down, feel compassion for ourselves and for the other person, and just be a little bit more chilled. And then I love your additions, like, we're just a little dot spinning on a big blue planet in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Suck it up. It's awesome. This is like <laughs> life is amazing. Like it's so good to be alive. I don't care if someone cuts me off. Like, wow, I get another day on this miracle. Um, as far as the eye can see and into the distance, we don't know if there's anything else like it out there. Holy cow. Hope more people cut me off and give me this experience of living on this blue dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know what I find so interesting? Um, you know, hopefully people have had this experience as well. Sometimes when you're with someone, um, whether it's a friend or, or a spouse or partner, and you have a strong relationship, and you can actually kind of do that work to find out their perspective, even though it's like very charged, and you know, you're kind of, uh, you know, fighting each other. It's amazing when you actually cut through all that and then you realize, oh my gosh, I was perceiving this situation totally incorrectly or totally incompletely. Not, not, not that what you experienced was wrong, but like you only had part of the picture and you thought you knew everything, but you only knew like your part. And then it's just so humbling to be like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> there could be something totally else, something else going on. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. This happened to me yesterday. So I was facilitating an executive team. Uh -huh. And it was right at the beginning and I was doing icebreakers and I got them to answer uh, get to know you uh, question. They said all these little cards, these little icebreaker questions. And this one of the women was just like frowning. I'm like, mm. oh, she doesn't like the card. She's like not comfortable. Right, right, and she, right. just, she just had this like sour grapes <laughs> look on her face. I'm like, this is going to be tough work. <laughs> And so we got around to her and I'm like, if you don't like your card, that's okay. We can get a new one. She's like, no, 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 that's not it. I was just thinking deeply about the question that's on the card. And um, I'm like, oh, yeah, here's another example of how I'm misreading the cues from what's going on for her. I thought she doesn't want to be here. She's struggling, whatever. And not at all. That was me projecting my fears of uh, how will this go? Are people going to be happy with the process? Like all my internal narrative was being projected onto her. And meanwhile, she's like, wow, this is a powerful question interesting and so her 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 resting bitch face essentially was... <laughs> i was thinking that i wasn't gonna say it though <laughs> it was more about like hmm, this is a ponderous interesting question for me so i i can't get better at this but um the to, just to press pause on the interpretation of what we're seeing it's like yeah. i don't know what's going on for this person Here's another example, right? So you email someone and mm -hmm. call them and they don't answer you. This is from a sales point of view, for example. Mm -hmm. Somebody said they're interested in my program, calling, calling, emailing, nothing, like totally ghosting, not getting anything back. Mm -hmm. So you can make up all sorts of stories about why that is so. They hate me. I'm annoying them. Um, and then towards catastrophizing, you know, their cat's been killed or, you know, they're under a bus, they're in the hospital. I don't know. But you have no idea. So I just remind myself, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to keep reaching out until they say uh, I've changed jobs or <laughs> I'm not interested or whatever. So, yeah, don't make up answers for people when you just don't have any of the information. You just have to 
we project so much and we just need to remain focused on what our intention is and to show up open-hearted in any of our conversations, our relationships and our actions. And I think from there, we'll, we'll do less harm to our own brains and emotional state, uh, let alone the effect on others. You know, um, I like that example with the email and, and something happened uh, fairly recently to me where um, I got an email uh, about an opportunity about something I'd be interested in doing, but it didn't come from the person who I thought it should have. It came from someone else, right? So the person who was my mentor and I'm like, you know, they would definitely, and, and they knew this information because them and the other person, they're like in the same group. So they had access to the same information. So some random person that I also knew, but I didn't have that close relationship. They were the one who said, hey, Joe, you might be really interested in the one that I thought should be feeding me the stuff, didn't send it to me. So then like to your example, you start thinking, well, maybe they don't really like me or they don't have confidence in me. And then after a while, I realized, you know what? People are not sitting around wondering, how can I help Zoe? How can I help Joe? People have all their own problems, right? They, they could have, you know, they could be overworked. They could have problems at home. Their email inbox could be a worse disaster than mine. You know, they could have, you know, instead of a hundred, they could have a thousand unread emails in their inbox why do we immediately assume that it's like some personal, horrible, to use your words, you know, catastrophizing thing? Um, and then so the advice that I started giving people is, you know, never sort of rely on one person as a single point of failure, right? Like have several, like vector in, like have triangulate, have several different people who can give you information, who can help you, because chances are two out of three of them are not going to be thinking you about you at the moment and may be busy, but if that third one remembers, then then you're golden. Yeah, it's perfect example, Joe. Like it goes back to the Marcus Aurelius quote, right? It's like nothing that we see is the truth. We only have our perspective. And um, yeah, if we try and get to the bottom of the truth, we can just derail ourselves completely. And I love your fact that, yeah, no one's sort of sitting around worrying about you. Everybody's worrying <laughs> about their own stuff. <laughs> they don't care about you. It's not about you, it's about them. So get over it, you know, dial down that little inner voice that's pestering you and making your life miserable. Yeah, I, I think that's good um, business and uh, life advice and dare I say relationship advice as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, Zoe, this is fantastic. Um, let's proceed to what I like to call the next step. So um, now that folks in the audience understand uh, your big lie that you've shared with us and all the great information around it. What's a single specific concrete step that people can do today to start to take advantage of this new knowledge? I think get a journal, pull it out, start asking yourself questions. Um, example is if you want to, you need to explore your thinking. So have a think about what happened today and what happened, how did I interpret that? And is it the truth? <laughs> I think that is, that is a really useful exercise to bring to any, any situation that you're in, any decisions that you've made. It's like, what are the stories I'm telling myself about this particular situation? And become aware of the story-making uh, tendencies that you have around particular incidents. And this sort of interrogation and examination of one's own thinking is, will lead to such breakthroughs because we can challenge our assumptions. We can challenge our, our point of view. We can... We can look at somebody like so coming back to like it's it's um, it's just a personality clash. So that specific example, you can bring out your journal and say, OK, who are the people in my world that I've come across that 
really push my buttons that I really don't like and I think it's their personality. So it's just sit with that. It's like, okay, I'm going to journal about that. And you can think about, all right, person X, let's call them Esmeralda. Mm -hmm. You know, Esmeralda. She is nasty. She is judgmental. She is arrogant. So you start to list all the things that push all your buttons about that. And he's like, okay, <laughs> that's how I'm perceiving her behavior. Then you can ask your question like, what could be going on for her that creates that behavior? And then you can ask the question, how would the Dalai Lama see her behavior? How mm -hmm. would Jesus Christ see her behavior? Pick mm -hmm. a figure that you respect, uh, either alive or dead, mythical or non-mythical, that you value their point of view and see if you can imagine how they would see what's going on. And just look for the corners of where you might get a different insight where you can drop a little bit of the judgment about the Esmeralda's arrogance or Esmeralda being challenging. And that can help churn our, our focus to curiosity as opposed to judgment. If you get that, if you get that place, whew, you might be starting to unhook a little bit of the buttons that are getting pushed. And to stay curious instead of judgmental is a massive leap forward in this. So we can get rid of that lie. It's just a personality clash and go, hmm, that's another human. Let's get curious about what's going on for them and what's going on for me as a result. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great tip and, and uh, the results can certainly be very, very powerful. Zoe, uh, for folks who want to learn more about you and, and the work that you do, um, share with us a little bit about what you're working on and how people can get in touch with you to learn more. Okay, well, I'll start with what I'm working on. I've got two books in the works. One is a novel. I'm actually writing oh. my first fiction book. Wow. Uh, super fun and super challenging and totally different writing experience. Yeah. So that's on the cards. And I'm writing another leadership book. Well, actually, I actually haven't started writing that one. I'm sort of intending to write it on uh, power and leadership, and that'll be down the track probably sometime next year. So nice. that's what I'm working on, as well as growing my Amplifiers group, which is an advanced leadership uh, program for CEOs, managing directors, and so on. Um, how people can get in touch with, in touch with me mm -hmm. on Planet Zoe at my website at zoerouth.com. That's Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H, like mouth with an R. Uh, mm -hmm. dot com, .com. Uh, On LinkedIn, I'm quite active there. I publish a lot of articles and resources and so on there. And I have my own podcast called the, wait for it, Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Very direct. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Easy to remember. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you, Zoe, for sharing your big lie with us. I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. I have an exciting update to share. My third book, Unlock Your Connection, Feel Like Family, is available on Amazon.com. Using universal principles, we explore how to unlock more professional success by learning how to connect to anyone, anytime, anywhere. Together with Unlock Your Charisma and Unlock Your Executive Presence, these three books form the first segment of my Unlock Your Leadership series. To learn more, go to www.connectioncounselor.com. For questions or to inquire about personal or team coaching, email me at joe at connectioncounselor.com. Thank you so much for listening to The Big Lie. 
We hope it has an amazing impact on your life. I only have one favor to ask. If you enjoy the show, please tell the one person you know who needs to hear about it and share the link. That's it. Together, we can vanquish these illusions that are holding us back.